0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amazin, And this is Kelly and Ramia.
0: Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for me uh, on AMI-audio. This week, Joita speaks to Paralympic cross-country skier and Gold, silver, and bronze winner, Natalie Wilkie. This is going to be the third of the three-part series profiling the 2023 inductees to the Canada Disability Hall of Fame. That's going to be The Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio, available on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube as well. Right now, though, you're checking out Kelly and Ramya with Grant and Ramia today, and uh, we just had a really great conversation with Leslie DePoe. Hope you were able to catch that about just some really critical issues surrounding physical and mental health for men this month. So definitely a lot to take away from that. Right now, though, we are going to go back to an interview uh, from the Balance Community Info Fair, and this is a conversation with Andra Strausski of Strausski Prosthetic eyes let's roll
1: i'm ramia Amadin i'm here with Andra strioski founder of strioski prosthetic eyes she's an
2: ocularist and i'm very curious about what that is so can we start there sure yeah, yeah. and a lot of people have heard about it because most people don't know someone who wears a prosthetic eye or if they do they may not even notice because mm. what we do is we make um a lens basically to cover a blind or a disfigured eye, mm-hmm. um, or someone who's had their eye removed We make a, a lens that that mimics the, the appearance of a natural eye. Right,
1: mm-hmm. and how do you get into this kind of profession?
2: That's a good question. Usually it's handed down through the generations, but I happened to get into it because I had a background in the fine arts, um. and I was painting portraits and sort of looking for a more, um, Practical application of those skills, and I like the uh, intersection between medicine and art that um, that it provided. So I met someone who was doing it, and and he took me on as an apprentice. Is it
1: possible for you to walk us through one of the like typical processes?
2: Yeah, for this? sure. Okay. So basically, what happens is um, someone will come in, and I will I will get a um, I will make a. An impression tray for them so mm-hmm. that's like a very thin um, acrylic lens um, that's thinner than the, the final eye will be. Okay. Then I will take an impression of their remaining eye or socket whatever it is that they have in there with some like uh, silicone material so that it, it's custom fit for their socket. Then I'll create a prototype to make sure it fits comfortably and matches the opening of their natural eye as much as possible. And then I paint it from life and put all the pieces together and we try it in and if it looks good, great. If not, we can adjust it as much as necessary. Try all over again.
1: Yeah. And how often do people come back for, you know, like, I lost my eye or <laughs> prosthetic, I guess, yeah. but, uh, okay. or I need a new one or something yeah. has changed in their situation.
2: Yeah. So usually uh, at a, after about five years, it's recommended that it's replaced for most people, um, both because. The tissues change as we age, or if we're younger, as we grow. Um, and also, the plastic um, arguably can um, harbor more bacteria as time goes on. So, in the interest of the health of the socket, it's also a good idea to get replaced every five years.
1: Are there many ocularists around Toronto or Canada? There are a
2: few of us. I would say, I think there's about 30 nationwide. Um, so it's pretty small. We all sort of know each other. Um, <laughs> we're not all related, but a lot of them are related <laughs> to each other. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little industry. And, um, but you, it's amazing how many people you know, do require those yeah. services.
1: Yeah. And that's what I was curious about, like, the number of people who would need the service mm-hmm. if it's difficult or uh, in demand um, for the ocularists and for the, the services to kind of everybody connect with each other
2: yeah yeah there's like there's enough work to go around. Um, doctors are getting good at, at saving eyes, which is great. Um, one population that I tend to serve a lot because I opened my practice fairly recently is um, new immigrants that come mm-hmm. in um, who are often wearing something maybe that they've been wearing for many many years wasn't always custom made, um, so I can really improve their their eye yeah
1: yeah, yeah I'm, I'm assuming like it's a spectrum right people with genetic eye conditions mm-hmm. like myself or uh, people who've gone through accidents or other conditions that end up with the need i have a friend who has a partial um prosthetic which is it feels basically like a hard contact lens, mm-hmm. nothing deeper than that. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of moments where we are like, don't forget to take your eye out before you get into the pool. Right. It's,
2: it's not a good idea. Yeah, you try yeah. to dive in without <laughs> your goggles, at least, Right. Yeah.
1: So, um, is there a possibility of people having vision in the eye that they're putting the partial prosthetic in?
2: Yeah, if, if there's some light perception, um, we can do a clear pupil on mm-hmm. it, so they can still have a bit of that light perception, but um, if there's vision, a lot of the time the eye is still too sensitive to wear a hard lens over it, so you would really have to see, you know, you'd have to c- consult with the individual on that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, like, the uh, prosthetic is still painted over, right? So you're kind of using your vision, potentially having uh, something painted on the lens? Mm-hmm. Or is that not always the case?
2: So, yeah, so if it was, we would paint, we would leave this, the pupil part clear, yeah. And then we would paint the iris to look more natural, yeah.
1: So you said your uh, strioski prosthetic eyes is a new practice for you. How's Mm -hmm. that going?
2: It's going great, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I I was working at a clinic in North York for most of my training, or for all of my training, rather. And then um, I decided to start my own practice um, downtown at College in Spadina. And it's great. I'm meeting some really nice people. And it's a you form a, a good relationship because it does take quite a while to produce mm-hmm. the eye. So you really get to know your clients really well. And they come back every six months for a cleaning. So it's really nice establishing that, that rapport and trust with them.
1: And you're here at the Balance Community Fair, which is great because you're having direct contact or g- connection with uh, people from the Blind Low Vision community. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, are there ways that you kind of outreach and promote or just get
2: to know the community? Yeah, well, getting to know doctors is, is helpful because um, they can refer patients. Um, and also, um, just be having a good online presence is actually becoming more and more important because mm-hmm. especially among younger people, they're interested in, you know some of the funner sides of wearing a prosthetic eye. So there's a community on Instagram who likes to showcase the fun eyes that they get to wear and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So I really like, like the pro- moments too, like the little, the experiences of yeah, and the and apps. yeah the the funny things, the emotional support, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the internet for all and social media for all. It's you know bad things that it brings to us. um, I feel like in supporting these niche communities, it can be really great. It is. And if people Mm -hmm. want to find you, where do they go? Um, strioskiprosthetice.ca or SPIs.ca for short.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's nice talking to you. Thank you. You too. Andrea Strioski is the founder of Strioski Prosthetic Eyes. She's an ocularist spending time with us here on Kelly and Ramia.
0: Fantastic. So many great conversations today, Ramya. And sounds like that uh, Balance Info Fair was really a highlight. You guys got so much great stuff from that.
1: Yeah, I'd love to follow up that conversation with Andra um, with uh, testimonials from people who've had their, I I keep wanting to say like eyes tattooed, but you know, the (laughs) prosthetics that they had requested with interesting and intricate designs. She said uh, she'd referenced a dragon that she'd made for a client once, some kind of a dragon scenario, dragon-esque for an eye prosthetic, a half prosthetic. And I'm thinking there's got to be so much more out there. Just follow that hashtag and find no more. Um, Grant, we've got a couple more minutes to kill on this side of the Balance interview, so let's talk about the Grammy nominations. We'll flip the switch completely because they've been announced. SZA,
0: Killing It. The Kill Bill singer leads the Grammy Award nominations with nine nods. The song Kill Bill up for both record and song of the year and her album SOS up for album of the year. Others getting nods in the Big Three, Song, Record, and Album of the Year categories include Taylor Swift, John Batiste, Miley Cyrus, and Olivia Rodrigo. The Grammys will be given out February 4th. Jason Athens and ABC News, Hollywood.
1: Okay, we have to put ourselves on the spot here and just outright ask each other, like, do you <laughs> recognize all the names? Do you recognize any of the music? Do you listen to current top 40 hits on radio?
0: oh Oh. sorry go ahead (laughs)
1: 100%
0: yes 100% yes I think there's there's this stereotype that people look at me I don't know and they're like oh you must be into like classical music no I listen to (laughs) I listen to pop top 40 SZA is like my sort of guilty pleasure all all of those songs are right off the charts the stations the the playlists that I listen to (laughs) how about you Rami okay
1: All right. Don't stutter too much or else we'll go back to believing that you don't listen to this music. No, it's true. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy uh, all of these artists. I'm not going to talk any trash about Taylor Swift because (laughs) Dave Brown might be listening and he's not pleased with anyone who has anything negative to say about taylor swift oh no yeah i know but because that's because he's a new fan it's so cute um the the thing is though i i do have a bone to pick with her because the one concert that i went to with for top dog entertainment tde the whole crew was here it was such a vibe but Sciza canceled absolutely last minute (sighs) like i mean she didn't even announce that she wasn't going to be on this leg of the tour until I don't know, later in the night where I'm like, where the hell is SZA? It's been hours. Um, She wasn't able to make it because she had really damaged her throat. So understandable, but I still feel very resentful that I didn't get to see her. I love her music, though. And um, I love all of this, but I have not been keeping in touch with the latest from any of these artists. Um, So, yeah. But shout out to Olivia,
0: Olivia Rodrigo. Right. Oh, absolutely. That's understandable. Nothing worse than something getting canceled like that that you're looking forward to. Uh, Accessibility advocates are speaking out about unreliable assistance in air travel, pointing to regulatory gaps and really terrible enforcement that can leave travelers with disabilities injured, stranded, or demeaned. Let's take a listen.
2: Community leaders describe damaged mobility aids, seemingly untrained staff, and a painfully long check-in and boarding process. The criticism comes after Air Canada pledged to roll out new measures that aim to improve the experience for hundreds of thousands of travellers living with a disability. Heather Waukas, chairwoman of the Council of Canadians with Disabilities, says the problems go beyond a single airline, extending to what she calls gaping holes in the law related to consultation and assistance. And protocols, despite a regulatory overhaul in 2020. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
0: It's so shameful, especially just the lack of redress that you can get. Like, I feel like if it's almost any other issue, you know, a cancelled flight, whatever it is, bump you from a flight, you can be entitled to huge amounts of compensation. But with Something that affects your dignity or affects your willingness to fly, whatever it is, something that happens when you have a disability, it's kind of like, well, gee, we apologize. And I, this is, this is not cool. This has really made me so much more anxious, Ramya, about flying.
1: Oh, God, you know the horror stories that we hear, Grant, and I. I sometimes think like you know I've been victimized or I've really felt this um, discrimination around disability. But then I hear about the horror stories that people have, where their wheelchairs have broken into unsalvageable pieces, or you know they're they're. Um, motor like uh, vehicles or their accommodations, their extensions of themselves, ways for them to be uh, to move or to be moved have literally been lost. And I wonder Mm -hmm. how do you like what kind of accountability can you even take uh, when these things happen? How do you actually make it up to these people and their experiences? Because forget the the physical aspect of it forget the compensation how about the trauma right like of oh my moving gosh, yes forward and being able to trust that you can travel again and be supported again i i think it's ridiculous how much lack of care there is
0: absolutely unless you're someone who's a real go-getter doesn't worry about anything it is hard to put yourself out there when that yeah. happens Really, really crappy stuff. We're going to take a break. Got to think about that one for a second. Coming up, we're going to wrap up the show, plus find out what's coming up on the next edition of Now with Dave Brown. Join us soon. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.